the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John.
The same word that spoke all things into existence has spoken on us. The word declared that we are children of God. In the beginning, God said, and it was so. In Christ, the Father speaks, you are my beloved children, and it is so. See what kind of love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. And because he calls us that, so we are. And because the created world does not know its creator, the world does not know us. John continues, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Because we are God's beloved children living in a fallen creation, even our own imaginations are not able to grasp the glory to which we are called. And yet, and yet we know that we are called to live not as children of this world, but as children of the Holy God. We hope in this promise of transformation. And in our hope, we live as if. We live as if we knew what it meant to be children of God. We live into who we already are as beloved children, as purified and perfected in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this beautiful hope, and yet we also live in the midst of a world that knows neither love nor perfection. We live in a world that places hope in idols rather than in the one true God. And so we come to this clash between truth and lie, as John writes, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And he goes on to say, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as Christ is righteous. Let us consider for a moment what, God, what John means with these words, sin and lawlessness and righteousness. Words that are charged by our tradition, words that are distorted in our culture. Too often we define sin and righteousness behaviorally. Sin is something that those other people do, and righteousness is the things that we do. Bishop Felix wrote this morning about the way that the left defines sin and righteousness according to works of justice and charity, while ignoring sexual immorality. And the right defines sin and righteousness in terms of sexual morality, while ignoring the call to love and justice. Neither view truly grasps sin and righteousness. For those of you who have read ahead to the end of John's sermon, you know that John concludes with a reminder of our identity and hope as children of God. And then he leaves us with a final admonition. My dear children, keep yourselves from idols. My dear children, keep yourselves from idols. The more I read this sermon, the more convinced I am that this is the key verse to understanding what John is speaking. 
For John, sin consists of denying our identity as children of God and instead following idols. In first century Asia Minor, this would mean denying the power and provision of God in order to seek favor with the gods of the city and the gods of the empire, engaging in the temple practice of the pagan gods in order to get along in society. There were even those who taught that one could be a public pagan and a private Christian, that one could act in one way and believe in another. John proclaims in opposition to this, what you practice, what you make a habit of, is a reflection of who you think you are. What you practice, what you choose to make a habit of, reflects who you think you are. If you make a practice of denying God, you deny your identity and are not living in the love of the Father. If you make a practice of denying the law of God, the commandment to live as beloved children and to love one another, you live without that law and commandment. You live in lawlessness. If you make a practice of worshiping idols, you are an idolater. I'm glad that we left all of that in first century Asia Minor. We don't have the temple of Artemis the Great or the various temples dedicated to worshiping the emperor who proclaims himself God. Unfortunately, we have far more subtle idols that call us away from the truth of our identity as beloved children of God, that call us away from love and community. Idolatry was the great sin of Israel, the great temptation of the early church, and idolatry remains the great temptation of the church today. I don't know what idols tempt you, but I will talk for a moment about the ones that tempt me. And the practices, the things that I do habitually, the way that I set my mind, that reveal that idolatry to me. My big idol is self-sufficiency and self-importance. I want to depend on me rather than depending on God or the community he has set me in. I won't detail the many ways that I have found by which to practice this particular form of lawlessness. But three practices of righteousness reveal this idolatry and continually call me to repentance. First and foremost, the practice of Sabbath. One day a week in which I do not work, but instead rest in the light in the Lord. The practice of Sabbath always seems like such a good idea in abstract. Yes, this is the day that I will set aside for the Lord. But as the demands and worries of life push in, and the good threatens to overwhelm the great, practicing Sabbath forces me to examine the ways that I think that the work of God depends on me. The ways that I think my security and safety depend on me. The ways that I trust more in me than I trust as we read the history of Israel, profaning the Sabbath and worshiping idols goes hand in hand. I find the same in my life. For me, Sabbath is an act of trust in the love and the sovereignty of God. Next, 
the practice of tithing reveals my temptation to idolatry. As I consider giving 10% of my income to the church, I begin to look at whether what is left will be enough. And in that, I realize that I'm looking to myself rather than to God to be provision for myself and my family. I also start to look at what return on investment I might get from giving to the church. What's the church going to do with my money? What's the church going to do with my money? Instead of trusting that God will work in and through his church as he promises, I'm tempted to see my role as evaluating the goodness of this work instead of being joyfully obedient to his command. My resistance to tithing reveals my desire to worship my own self-sufficiency and self-importance. But the practice of tithing teaches me to trust in God. Finally, the practice, the habit of daily prayer prayer reveals the ways in which I seek my identity. As I look at committing a fixed time each day for prayer, I'm forced to consider what I will be choosing not to do. As I look at a time for morning prayer, I look at getting up earlier. And when I look at getting up earlier, I have to look at going to bed earlier. I have to look at what I choose to do instead of choosing to pray. My idols of self-sufficiency, self-importance, and that pesky idol of self-indulgence rear their ugly heads at me. Morning prayer remains a difficult practice for me. But as we have kept as a family the discipline of noon prayer over the past year now, as we have had to alter our schedules and our commitments, I see how the practice of ordering the day around noon prayer has subtly altered the way that I look at other parts of the day. The practice of daily prayer teaches me to order my day around my identity as a child of God. Those practices those external practices of Sabbath, tithing, and daily prayer are the ones that call me to repentance, that call me to practice righteousness as a child of God. These are practices in our physical life, the things that we do. But they're also practices and habits of our inner life, of our thought life. What do we practice? What do we make a habit of? What do we rehearse in our thoughts? Do we rehearse a narrative, I am a beloved child of God living in his unshakable kingdom? Or do we rehearse a narrative of lies? You are not enough. You should have done this. If you really loved God, if God really loved you, what could we make a practice of in our minds? I submit that our practice should always be a practice of truth. I, you, we are 
beloved children of God, because he said so. The idols that tempt you and the practices that reveal them are likely different for each of us and different in different seasons of our lives. The importance is not the practice, but the importance is to carefully examine what we are practicing. Are we practicing righteousness because Christ is righteous? Are we practicing lawlessness and rebellion against our identity? Are we living according to truth? Or are we deceived by lies? Are we living as beloved children of God or as children of the devil? John tells us, by this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not practicing God, nor does the one who does not love his brother. This, my friends, is not a call to judgment or self-condemnation. This, this is a call to freedom, a call to life, a call to live in hope and love rather than in fear and despair. This is a call to our victory in Christ. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is a call to live in the truth of our identity. See what kind of love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so I invite you to come to this table on this day in the fullness of our identity as beloved children, to come and practice table fellowship, the table fellowship not of this world, but the table fellowship of the kingdom. Come and practice receiving the love of God in the body and blood of Christ. Come and practice the hope of what we are becoming in the glory of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come and practice abiding in the sovereignty and sufficiency of the Holy God. And then I invite you to go out into this week living in the fullness of your identity as beloved children, resisting the lies of a world that rejects you, resisting the temptations of idols, standing firm in truth, making a practice of the righteousness that springs from abiding in the Holy God and loving one another in the name and fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.